This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. It's just me today, Matthew Collar, and I had a few scheduling conflicts. He had a lot going on with the Purple Insider podcast, his daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, also a part of the Blue Wire Network. To me, the best daily Vikings podcast on the internet. If you listen to this podcast, you can certainly tell how smart of a football mind and really just how brilliant of a guy Matthew Collar is. So if you're not already, subscribe, rate, and review that podcast, Purple Insider, hosted by Matthew Collar. So today... On the prospect, I'm going to talk to you about the ins and outs and everything that went into my ranking of the opt-out prospects. I figured this early in the pre-draft process, it was a good time to reintroduce you, the listeners and the readers at CBSSports.com, to all those players that decided not to play at all in the 2020 college football season. And it's not just Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons. Uh, there are 19 players that I had ranked that I think are relatively marquee prospects that certainly deserve a lot of attention. We're not talking about seventh round guys or undrafted free agents here. And as usual, I'll get right to it. At number 19 overall, uh, I'm already thinking in draft terms, at number 19 in my rankings, Walker Little, the offensive tackle from Stanford. And he has a fascinating story and I think is a very compelling prospect for a few reasons. Number one, he was a five-star recruit when he entered the campus there in Palo Alto, California, a few years ago. Six foot seven, uh, 310 pounds, could certainly add some weight, um, but we haven't seen him on the field in action since opening weekend in 2019. They played Northwestern. He got injured in that game, looked pretty dominant against a Northwestern defensive line, uh, got hurt for the rest of the season season-ending injury in that opening game, and then he decided to opt out of the 2020 season. A five-star recruit with that six-foot-seven frame, uh, and at times you like to see how powerful he is because he really is, even though he was relatively young, and that's really the only time that we saw him at the collegiate level, he's pretty strong. He needs to add, like I said, some weight and some uh, overall upper body strength to deal with NFL pass rushers, and he's a little bit off balance. I don't know if he's fundamentally sound yet with his footwork and when he's lunging at defensive ends, I think he could be a little bit more patient, but you know that at six foot seven and the fact that he was a five-star recruit, there is a lot of raw ability there. And I think if your team needs an offensive tackle or maybe just offensive tackle depth, but they might have to go in a different direction at another position earlier in the draft, that that's a bigger, more pressing need. It's kind of hard to peg where Walker Little's going to fall, but I feel like day two or maybe even early day three 
to be able to get a former five-star recruit that's six foot seven, that with a little more strength could be a quality player in the NFL. Um, he's someone that you certainly have to remember. Walker Little from Stanford. Number 18, Ambry Thomas, the cornerback from Michigan. Six foot, around 180, 85 pounds. So he looks spindly on film and he's super fast. I think the fact that he only weighs around 180 pounds helps him really glide down the field. When it comes to the vertical route tree, he is not going to have any problems running with even the faster wide receivers in the NFL. And you know, uh, recently for a lot of these Michigan cornerbacks that are really, a lot of them have been similar size to Ambry Thomas. They're right around six foot kind of spindly. They play a lot of man coverage um, under their defensive coordinator, Don Brown press man. They're on an Island. Not a lot of cornerbacks coming into the NFL have that type of experience. Is he the twitchiest? No, but he's certainly not stiff hipped. Uh, he has good flexibility in his lower half to change directions. The ball skills are pretty good, but I think he is going to deal with some problems against the bigger, more physical wide receivers. And I don't know if his press man uh, talent or refined skill is going to translate. Not a lot of those Michigan cornerbacks that were good and very productive trying to beat up wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. They have not really translated uh, that well or that quickly to the NFL. Even David Long, Jordan Lewis, um, a lot of those corners that had even better figures and were more experienced in press man um, have not necessarily made a quick acclimation process to the NFL. So Ambry Thomas, number 18 overall, if you want a speedster um, to deal with say a wide receiver in your team's division that can really stretch the field vertically, Ambry Thomas, like similar to Walker little. And that's why they're um, further down these rankings will probably be available second, third, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in that range, um, but certainly has the athleticism and the experience in that press man coverage uh, that, again, not a lot of corners have uh, to be someone that can play and contribute early in their NFL career. Number, I'm just looking at my other computer over here if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, Sage Surratt, Wake Forest wide receiver. Watching him in 2019 when Jamie Newman was his quarterback, and I'll get to him uh, you know, throughout this pre-draft process um, and actually in this uh, ranking because he opted out too, you saw someone that was absolutely dominant down the field in those contested catch situations. But in watching the duration of his film, you realize that almost all of his catches were high degree of difficulty plays where it was either a cornerback or a safety draped all over him, and it raised the speed question. So when you watch him on all 22, uh, you see someone that is not particularly fast. He's, I think he's a good athlete. Like for being 6'3 and around 220 pounds, he changes directions relatively well. But in terms of speed, he's very sluggish off the line of scrimmage. And to be someone that you can hang your hat on winning down the field and that you're a great vertical threat because of how good you are rebounding the football. If you can do that in the ACC, great. But in the NFL, if you cannot run four mid four fives, let's say in today's NFL, you're not going to draw a lot of attention down the field. Now, is there a possibility that teams are just not going to pay attention to Sage Surratt down the field because he's slow and that he could actually hit some of those bigger plays? Sure. But the reason why he is at number 17 in my rankings is that I really have serious concerns about his speed and in general, 
his separation ability. Like I said, I think at six foot three and around 220 pounds, he moves relatively well, but he's not someone that is going to be an insane separator at the next level. But if your team wants a rebounder, wants more physicality and more size in its receiver room, third, fourth, fifth round, uh, and it wouldn't even surprise me if he actually goes a little later than that, Sage Surratt uh, is someone that should certainly be on your radar. His brother, Chaz Surratt, the quarterback turned linebacker from North Carolina, is probably going to actually be, be picked earlier than him. Uh, both two great athletes at the high school level, uh, but Sage Surratt is someone that I, I think – could carve out a very specific niche in the NFL. Number 16 overall, Tyler Shelvin, defensive tackle from LSU. Watching his film is an absolute blast. And, and if your dad's watching it or your grandpa's watching it, they probably would think that Tyler Shelvin is a first-round prospect because he devours against the run. I mean, when it comes to eating double teams or just when a small running back is anywhere in his vicinity – Tyler Shelvin is going to make impact plays. He ballooned up to around reportedly 370 plus pounds uh, in 2019 at LSU. So I think there will be legitimate weight concerns that you can't, unless you're six, six or six, seven, you can't really play that big. He's very squatty, like around six foot three, 370 pounds. The conditioning, I think, would be a pretty big problem. So if at the LSU Pro Day, he's in the 340s or 350s, I think that would be really good for him. Very powerful hands. And then beyond everything, just kind of uh, categorizing him as this run defender only, and that's basically what he is. He's a great athlete for his size. His first step will threaten some of the slower centers in the NFL and some guards too. Is he going to give you enough sustained speed as a pass rusher? Probably not. And he didn't really do that at LSU. They didn't really ask him to get up the field, um, but he's not someone that is stiff and has no juice to his game. So Tyler Shelvin, number 16 overall, there's a lot of people uh, that I've already seen on Twitter that are huge fans of him. Could he go maybe in the second round? I think that would be a little bit aggressive in today's NFL, maybe third or fourth round for him, just because he is that good and has that large of a tackle radius and can shed blocks that well. Um, I think that could push him up the board, even though he's not a pass rusher. But Tyler Shelvin, make sure you pay attention throughout the pre-draft process to what he weighs in at at the LSU Pro Day. That will be a huge storyline for him. He opted out in 2020. Number 15 overall, another defensive tackle, Jalen Twyman from Pittsburgh. Where's number 97, like Aaron Donald did, played at Pittsburgh, has a variety of pass rushing moves. It was easy in 2018 when he started to produce a little bit, and then in 2019 to draw those comparisons to Aaron Donald. And for his pass rushing move arsenal, I, I think it is relatively close, not to where Aaron Donald's was in 2013 when he was entering the draft in 2014, but... He does know how to use a variety of moves to beat blockers. The difference as to why he's not getting Aaron, Aaron Donald type buzz um, is the fact that he's not a, a super explosive athlete that can threaten through a gap with his first step and his sustained speed to the quarterback. So he has to take a few seconds to beat a blocker with a swim move or a rip move or a club. Uh, but you do like the fact, and I do, like the fact uh, that Jalen Twyman knows how to use his hands and he's relatively strong. He's around Aaron Donald's size. 
a little bit taller, so he's not quite as stocky and doesn't play with the same type of low center of gravity that I think really helps Aaron Donald play with a lot more power than you would suspect at 290 pounds. I think it helps that Aaron Donald is absolutely shredded. We see that every year when he's working out, he looks like a linebacker. Uh, but Jalen Twyman, second or third round would not surprise me for him. He was one of the earliest opt-outs uh, before the college football season started, and I think it, it kind of got pushed out there that he was a first-round prospect. I would be stunned if he went that early because, like I said, he's a little smaller and doesn't have the juice in his lower half to be a first-round guy being undersized. But the pass-rushing moves are there. He kind of reminds me of kind of a, a, a tuned-down Javon Hargrave. That Javon Hargrave was super explosive uh, coming out of the FCS level, um, but used his hands very well. That's kind of what I see with Jalen Tryman, just not quite as explosive. Uh, number 14 overall, another defensive tackle, three in a row. J2 Fele from USC, uh, another one like Jalen Twyman, and that's why I have these prospects ranked very closely in this opt-out ranking that knows how to use his hands. His go-to move is a swim. You see guards and centers try to get their hands on him at the point of attack right after the snap, and he very easily swims past them, um, uses a good club move as well. That's really all he has. There's not really much bull rush to his game. And against the run, because he's a little bit lighter, he is that penetrating type. Um, he gets pushed around in the run game quite a bit. I think actually Twyman is a little bit better of a run defender. Um, these two could be interchanged. I, I wasn't, I kind of went back and forth between where I would rank these two. They're very similar prospects. I think there's a little bit more hype for Tufele at this point. Maybe could go a little bit earlier than Jalen Twyman. I think there's a little bit more explosiveness in his lower half to threaten just with his speed through the gap right off the snap. If he doesn't win with the pass rushing moves, uh, but good value Jalen Twyman and J two fell second, third round to get just someone that's maybe not going to play 80, 90% of your snaps, but could play 40, 50, 60% in those pass rushing situations where you're not necessarily worried about um, a run play and you just want, your defensive lineman to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback number 13 overall. And before I bring up this player, remember that positional value really matters to me. He's a running back. And I think overall his, his uh, grade will be a little bit higher than a lot of the players that he's ranked behind, but he's playing running back uh, in my position addition that I do in my grading system. I don't give running backs any boost. Every other position gets a little bit of a boost varying degrees based on how valuable I think that position is. Kenny Gainwell, running back from Memphis. He's small, 5'8", 5'9", 180, 85 pounds. So there is a big contingent out there in draft Twitter that like shows that throughout history, even recent history, you want your running backs to hit that 200-pound threshold. But Kenny Gainwell, like a few other prospects in this draft class, um, chief among them, Demetric Felton from UCLA, uh, they're in this new mold of not just a running back that can catch the football on a swing pass or this, or in the screen game, but can legitimately run wide receiver routes. And his film in 2019 was fantastic. You're watching Antonio Gibson to see the few times that he was actually handed the ball. And I remember watching him last year. I was like, who is this Kenny Gainwell? They are using him as a legitimate slot receiver, throwing him slot fades. And he is, turning, making back shoulder catches and getting his feet in bounds. He looks like a wide receiver. He's twitched up, not crazy fast, 
but he did carry the football a lot. So he's coming into the NFL with a lot more experience as a running back than Antonio Gibson did. He's not the athlete that Antonio Gibson was at like six foot and 230 pounds. I don't think he's going to run in the four threes like Antonio Gibson did, but really what the team that drafts him will be able to say, all right, we're going to hand him the football on first down and then we're going to play him in the slot and he can run a jerk route and lose an NFL linebacker with his quickness and his separation skills. So Kenny Gainwell did not play for the Memphis Tigers in 2020, but is a very fun new age prospect. Most running backs today, unless you're maybe in this draft class, a Travis Etienne or a Najee Harris, the sweet spot, I think second to fourth round. And I think that's where Kenny Gainwell will ultimately go. Don't forget that name. He's a good player. Number 12, uh, Gregory Rousseau. This is going to be the most probably criticized or controversial um, player that I'm going to talk about throughout the pre-draft process. Because if you look at any mock draft from a lot of plugged in draft insiders and draft analysts, we talked about mock, uh, Todd McShay's mock draft a few uh, weeks ago, a few episodes ago, Matt and I did. Uh, they're going to have Gregory Rousseau high in their first round within the top 20 picks, maybe a little later than that. I didn't see it with him on film. I think he's extremely raw. He's six seven, listed at anywhere, you know, depending on the site that you're seeing, 255 all the way up to 265. Had 15 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman in 2019. That's really where he hangs his hat in terms of his draft resume. He rushes high. There's not a lot of power to his game because he does not have a low center of gravity. Uh, a lot of his production came on twists or were coverage sacks, not a lot of pass rushing moves. I mean, maybe he will go early. And, and I think at the Miami pro day, he's had an entire year to train. He'll probably do some freaky things because with that size six, seven, and if he's even in the high two fifties, I think he can run really fast. I won't be surprised if he jumps high, has a decent three cone, even though I don't think he's very bendy. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, I, I would at this point, and don't hold me to this, but I, I have him graded like in the second or third round at this point. Uh, I, I think that the team that picks him maybe in year two, maybe year three or year four, when you're already deep into that rookie deal could maybe get some production out of him. He kind of reminds me of Rashawn Gary, who did play, uh, pretty well down the stretch for the uh, Green Bay Packers. who went, I believe number 12 overall in the 2019 draft and was just a raw specimen at Michigan, but at least he had some power to his game and had an, a true NFL body. I think Rousseau at six, seven, two like that's the uh, a kind of a prototype. Like if you wanted to build this super long defensive end that could play up and down the line, you would say, okay, two sixty five, six seven. maybe he can add a little bit of weight. But beyond that, I, I think he is very unrefined as a player. And it's not surprising. We saw one season from him as a redshirt freshman, and then he decided to opt out. I, I'm not blaming him for opting out because there was so much hype after that 15-and-a-half sack season. But I think Gregory Rousseau probably should go somewhere in the second round, but he'll probably go a little higher. He's number 12. Number 11, Jamie Newman. And, and this is similar to what I just talked about with Kenny Gainwell at 13. Positional value is baked in here. When I watched Jamie Newman at Wake Forest, I wrote a piece, I believe in like October or November, that I thought he had first round traits, that the tight window throws he was making, the accuracy down the field to Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington there at Wake Forest was phenomenal. And then you saw him use in the design run game. He was 
pretty twitchy. He was running over linebackers. He's very chiseled, like 6'3", 225, 230. Um, and then down the stretch, after there were a few injuries in that 2019 season at Wake Forest, he kind of unraveled. He had a pretty bad game against Clemson. They finished the season against Wake Forest, or one of the last games was against Virginia Tech, and Jamie Newman didn't really play that well. Uh, so I, I think there's a little bit of a concern that that's kind of a sour note that he ended his college football career on. He transferred to Georgia and never played. Uh, but I like his traits a lot. I think he has a good arm, very quick release. He's certainly unafraid to make those tight window throws that we saw from him early in the season in 2019 in the ACC. And I think he fits the mold of the modern day athletic quarterback. Is he a very natural playmaker? I don't think so, but I, I think he'll be able to get outside the pocket and pick up yards on a third and five. He can get you seven yards and outrun a linebacker to the corner. He can do those things. If you want to use him on some QB power, I think you could. Um, so Jamie Newman, it will be very fascinating to see where he falls. I remember right when it came out, like the news broke that Jamie Newman was going to opt out and enter the draft. Like some other draft insiders were like, oh, he's going to be undrafted or seventh round. I, I would be stunned if that's the case. Um, but it's very hard to tell, especially this draft season with coronavirus, no combine, and even with these opt-outs, how teams will view him. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if there are some teams that view him as a late day three pick. But I ultimately think he'll go earlier than that because of the tools that he has and what we saw from him. Even in 2018 at Wake Forest, his first full year as a starter, and then early on in 2019, dropping it in the bucket down the field, ripping it down the seam over a linebacker in front of a safety. He made a lot of good throws, and you like his athletic profile as well. Number 10 overall, Joe Tryon from Washington. He's gotten some first-round buzz, and it wouldn't shock me if he ultimately goes there. He's six foot five, 262 pounds, I believe he's listed at on the Washington Huskies website. And he is a high motor guy. He's a very linearly explosive athlete, like in a straight line, he is going to threaten with his speed, not insanely bendy, but he's not stiff. Um, I do think sometimes watching him as a pass rusher, he gets pushed past the quarterback too often, kind of leans on two moves. He has the outside speed rush that will threaten, like I said, and, and if he gets the corner, he can flatten or kind of a crossover move to the inside, like a basketball move to the inside. That is pretty good because I think most offensive tackles in the Big 12 were really concerned about his speed around the corner. He will throw a swipe move in there occasionally to kind of just help him corner those offensive tackles. So they were worried about that, and then he can use that crossover step to get back to the inside. Very good on stunts because he is long and he is fast. Um, had pretty good production at Washington in 2019. Um, I saw Daniel Jeremiah, I think, had him in late in the first round in one of his mock drafts. If he tests well at the Washington Pro Day, it wouldn't shock me if he's like one of those last few picks in round one. I, I think he needs a little bit of fine-tuning from his defensive line coach once he gets to the NFL to how to use his hands a little bit better because he's not like a freaky athlete to win just with burst and bend alone. 6'5", 260, it's going to be hard for you to kind of get low and dip and bend around the corner. But Joe Tryon, high-motor player, he, everything he does is sudden. He will chase from the backside. If a quarterback holds the ball too long, he will find him. Pretty good prospect, number 10 overall in my opt-out rankings. Number nine overall, Nico Collins. He's kind of a throwback. And when I say throwback, I mean five, 10 years ago in that era that I've talked about on other episodes 
where the Des Bryant and Jordy Nelson and Brandon Marshall and Kelvin Johnson and early on Mike Evans were really dominating these rebounders where teams were not as concerned about, about separation ability, but just wanted you to win in those contested catch situations. Six foot four, 220 plus pounds. And at Michigan, you saw that from Nico Collins, that he was not separating a ton, but he was pretty fast. I think deceptively fast down the field. And he turned those 50, 50 balls into like 80, 20 balls, a team that again, wants to add kind of like Sage Sherratt wants to add um, some rebounding skill and wants to bring someone that can add some vertical skills to the wide receiver room without trying to find someone that can run a four, three, if, if one is not available or low four, fours, Nico Collins, probably on day two um, is someone that is a little bit of a different flavor of where the NFL has trended recently and is a lot different from most of the top prospects in this class. But I think he could be a good pro if the team that drafts him, isn't asking him to run six or seven intricate routes throttle down. If they're asking him to be like DK Metcalf, not that I think he's an ex DK Metcalf, but Hey, stay vertical. We'll give you a lot of go routes, a lot of posts, a lot of corners. I think he can be a really good player. Uh, number eight overall, Thomas Graham from Oregon. I really love his film. I, I think he should go somewhere in the first round. There's not a lot of buzz for him, though. I, I think he'll ultimately probably go second or third round, if not later. He kind of feels like a prospect that I have liked in the past. Um, that will go way later uh, than I would ultimately pick him. He was super productive at Oregon. I mean, everything he did, I, every game I watched, um, and certainly with Justin Herbert and all the talent that they've had in that secondary over the past couple years, um, I, I watched a lot of Oregon games on film. Thomas Graham, whether it was in the slot uh, or on the outside, was making plays, just driving on the football, making great instinctive reads in zone coverage, peeling off his wide receiver to find the football on a throw that was behind him or underneath. I think he has the quickness to stay with slot wide receivers in the NFL. He's very, very twitchy and he is a little bit smaller. He's around 5'10, 180 or so pounds. But I think that type of corner cornerback has more uh, room in today's NFL than he did even five or 10 years ago, because a lot of these number one wide receivers, they're not, that six, three or six foot four, 230 pound guy anymore. They're smaller. They're quicker. They're better off the line. They are amazing separators. I think Thomas Graham has legitimate inside out versatility. And I'm a big proponent. It might seem lazy, but if someone is making a lot of plays on the football in college, a lot of interceptions, a lot of pass breakups, he had over 30 in his career uh, at Oregon, a bunch of interceptions underneath down the field, intermediate level you're probably a pretty good cornerback. So Thomas Graham from Oregon, number eight overall for me. Number seven, Levi Anwazirke, defensive lineman from Washington. He has some of the heaviest hands in this class, and it didn't matter where he lined up, whether it be a zero technique right over the center, one technique on the outside shoulder or outside at three technique, even the five technique. Washington used him all up and down the line of scrimmage, and I didn't really see a drop-off in his game. In 2018, they, they mostly used him inside and asked him to two-gap and just be this uh, amazing run defender, and he was that. I think at 6'3 and around 285, you probably want him a little bit further away from the football to deal with guards um, or maybe even defensive ends if you're running a 3-4 front. 
but great heavy hands knows how to use them. And he's a great athlete. He's oiled up in his hips, uh, very quick step, dynamic athlete. I think Levi on should, and probably will go somewhere in the first round. Not a lot of classic production from him, but if you look at his pressures and you watch the film and see that Washington didn't really unleash him really until late in 2019, you'll see why he only had a couple of sacks, but the pressures were there the block shedding ability, the experience to gapping, which I think some coaches still like to have from their defensive linemen, and just the traits to be a really good pass rusher. Quick first step, sustained speed, and those heavy hands he knows how to use well. Number six, Javon Holland, another Oregon secondary member. I mean, man, if, if Oregon had some of those players back, they would have had a probably a pretty good season in 2020. Javon Holland, the safety I don't know how great of an athlete he is, and that is my biggest concern with him as a prospect. He's a little bit undersized, but nine interceptions in two seasons as a fr- as a freshman, uh, he was predominantly Oregon's f- like free safety in the deep middle, playing that Earl Thomas role. And then in 2019, they moved him down as their main slot defender. And I thought, oh man, it's, it's you know after seeing the five interceptions in 2018, it's like why would you move him? to a new spot. He was so impactful there. And then he had four interceptions as a slot defender. When you hear about instincts and football IQ, that's the type of player you're getting with Javon Holland. He reads route concepts, understands where quarterbacks are going to go with the football, pretty willing tackler. I don't know if he's an amazing tackler, but if you want coverage range and coverage versatility to play in the slot, play that robber safety or play from the deep middle, Javon Holland is going to be your guy. Be interesting to see, though, how he tests. He's someone that I think his draft stock will ultimately hinge on how he tests, how he weighs in, how long is he at that Oregon Pro Day. If he has a great workout, we're talking about him as a first-round safety and kind of a weak class at that position. If he is a little bit short, if he doesn't have the longest arms, if he runs you know, well into the four fives and doesn't have a crazy vertical, we could be talking about him in the second or the third round. He actually reminds me a lot of former Oregon uh, safety Jarius Bird that wasn't a crazy athlete but was so instinctive and we saw a lot of ball production from him early in his career in the NFL. Number five overall, Rashawn Slater. We're getting into some of the big names here. Um, Offensive tackle from Northwestern. His claim to fame is that he did the best job against Chase Young in 2019. You can say Jalen Mayfield from Michigan. He did a pretty good job um, against Chase Young. But Rashawn Slater was fantastic against someone who's now the defensive rookie of the year when it came to uh, dealing with his speed, dealing with his array of pass rushing moves. Rashawn Slater is very balanced, and he's that kind of Jonah Williams type of blocker that is smaller, has a lower center of gravity, but is super quick. And because of that low center of gravity, he actually has a really quality anchor. I think at times it's easy to think that an offensive lineman, whether he's playing center or guard or, or offensive tackle needs to be this mauler to be someone that's really powerful and can anchor well in pass protection. But really it, it seems to be that you can have this Isaiah wind type frame six, three, six, four, you're lower to the ground. And that helps you in those situations where you're dealing with a bull rush. Some teams might knock him because he's not super long. He's probably not going to have the longest arms, but I think in terms of dealing with any type of pass rushing move because of his balance and his agility to slide back to the inside against a swim move to the inside 
or just a crossover. Rashawn Slater has that. Uh, he, to me, is probably going to be a top 20 pick and probably should go that early. Number four overall, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. Right now, he's my number one cornerback in this draft class. Yes, ahead of Patrick Sertan. I think uh, at well over six foot, over 200 pounds, the athleticism difference between Farley from Virginia Tech and Sertan from Alabama is really the tiebreaker for me. I think Patrick Sertan is going to have some of the problems that Trevon Diggs had as a rookie with the Dallas Cowboys that at Alabama, you can beat up some of these, uh, even SEC wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. You're going to play a fair amount of zone. Once you get to the NFL, if you're asked to play man against Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, you're going to probably have some problems. Not that I think Sertan is a bad athlete. I just think Farley is a better athlete. He's twitchier. His change of direction is more sudden. And he plays the football outstandingly, whether it be um, just on a slant. If he is beaten off the line of scrimmage, he has good recovery skills and will get his hand in front of that or down the field. He understands when a wide receiver is going uh, to try to find the football and he will track it very well himself. Opted out before the 2020 season. Caleb Farley probably will be either the first or the second cornerback off the board, unless something unforeseen happens like there's an injury, obviously, or if he does not test very well. But I think he will. At that Virginia Tech Pro Day, Caleb Farley should put on a show because he looks like a very athletic outside cornerback. Number three overall, Micah Parsons. Watching his film and going into it, I, I was a little bit concerned about uh, his experience and his production in coverage because you didn't see a lot of interceptions, a lot of pass breakups. And I saw that early on. I was like, man, this guy's making a lot of plays against the run, has good range at this hulking size. He looks like an NFL linebacker, um, shedding blocks, getting across the line of scrimmage very well. But where are the plays in coverage? I think he has the skill set to do it because he is listed at like 6'3 and 240 already, but he runs like he's around 6'1, 225. Very, very athletic and explosive. He, he's not just fast. He's not just twitchy. He's not quicker than fast. He is the full package. We haven't seen, though, a lot of the coverage uh, production or experience, but I do think the traits are there. His calling card to me, beyond just being a, a great uh, elite run defender, very sure tackler, is the fact that he can line up on third downs, put his hand in the dirt, and beat NFL offensive tackles. He has an array of pass rushing moves. He can win just with his burst and his dip at 6'3", 6'2 six, and a half, 6'3", 245. He can get underneath some of those 6'5 and 6'6 offensive tackles. Um, and there's some power to his game as well. He converts that speed to power. So we are looking for all these off-ball linebackers that are amazing in coverage, but there will be a smart team, and he's probably going to go early, that will say, hey, you know what? We're not going to use Micah Parsons on third down to cover the team's top tight end or ask him to cover a running back out of the backfield, let's blitz him and, 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 or let's just use him as our defensive end in that sub package on second and long or on third down. I think really Micah Parsons has some Anthony Barr uh, kind of feel to his game. I think Zaven Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa is probably a better comparison for Anthony Barr, but the ability to rush the passer, not even just as a blitzer, but truly as a hand in the dirt defensive end, I think is what's really fascinating about Micah Parsons. And it's very unique. We don't see that very often that he can legitimately be one of the better, just classic pass rushers in this draft class, and then give you that range 
on those rundowns and the ability to sift through the traffic and beat blockers at the second level to get to the ball carrier. Probably, again, a top 15, top 10 pick. Number two overall, Jamar Chase, and the guy that's number one, I, I kind of went back and forth like who I should rank number one, but I went Jamar Chase because of positional value, and I think wide receiver is one of the most valuable positions in today's NFL, second or third most important, maybe fourth if you love offensive tackles and love edge rushers. But I think that it, it might be a little bit further down the list and I don't give it as big of a boost in my position addition in my grading system because it's not just how valuable the wide receiver position is in a vacuum. It's how many wide receivers are entering the league every year that are really good. And I think it's a lot easier to find a productive wide receiver than it is a stellar offensive tackle or an outstanding edge rusher. So you probably guess who's number one, but before I get to him, Jamar Chase, uh, it's easier to talk about his weaknesses and faster to talk about his weaknesses than his strengths. At times he can get a little bit caught up at the line of scrimmage. He's like overly physical in a good way against press coverage. Um, but doesn't necessarily beat press coverage with like insane elite quickness. I think he knows how to use his hands and marry them up with his feet to beat press coverage at the line. He did that in the sec in that ridiculous 2019 season as a 19 year old, um, and I, I don't know how amazing of a route runner he is because LSU used him on go routes on RPO slants, um, corner routes, not anything intricate, but I kind of had that same concern for Justin Jefferson, uh, in the pre-draft process last year. And we certainly saw him have a ridiculous rookie year. I was way off on my Justin Jefferson, uh, negatives and just my overall thoughts on him as a prospect. So Jamar chase, everything else I didn't talk about. He's very good at. Yeah, uh, yards after the catch, yak, uh, contested catchability. Um, he can get open. He's athletic enough to get open. I don't know if he's super savvy doing that right now, but he was only 19 years old playing in the SEC and putting up ridiculous numbers in 2019. That leads me to number one overall, Penny Sewell, another prospect, offensive tackle from Oregon, by the way. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, which I'm sure you have, that it is easier and quicker to talk about the negatives of his game than the positives because there's not many negatives. But I, I will say I, I'm not ready to just put him in the Hall of Fame instantly. I think there are some times on film where he gets a little bit over aggressive. And if he's dealing with a savvy edge rusher, it'll get him out over his feet and he lunges and he'll get a little bit off balance. What's insane about Penny Sewell, though, in those instances for 99.999% of offensive tackle prospects, when they're lunging over their feet, the play's over, and that is going to be a pressure given up at the very least, if not a quarterback hit, and most likely a sack. Penny Sewell has elite, rare, freaky recovery ability because he is such an insane athlete at 6'5 and 335 pounds. Uh, so that's really my only concern is that at times he's a little bit out of control, like slightly needs to kind of tone it down a little. And I think if he were to dial it back a little bit, even getting to the second level as a run blocker, he's great in space, but there's times where he sees a linebacker and tries to just bury him into the ground. And if that linebacker again is savvy and can use a swim move or just wait a second to avoid the block, Penny Sewell can kind of fall over. You'll see him on the ground a little bit or just off balance. But in general, as a pass blocker, as a run blocker, Penny Sewell is exactly what every offensive line coach will want. And with Jamar Chase and with Penny Sewell, 
they're young. They're like 20 years old. They're going to be entering the league so young. And again, to see what those players were able to do early in their careers um, at such a young age and how good they were, I think is vital for their draft profiles that you like to see that type of production very early in their NFL careers. Um, All right. That'll do it for me for today. Thank you for listening to the prospect podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso.